Let's turn this morning to Psalm 131. Psalm 131. Let's be praying for Pastor and his family as they're at uh, Colon Baptist today. And of course, Jeff Manier and Deb, they're missionaries, church planters, missionaries with CBM. And they are there now, ministering there, trying to revive that church which is, uh, which is struggling greatly. And we, of course, are part of that, trying to be of aid and help. And Pastor is there today, just introducing himself and allowing the people of the church to kind of understand who he is, connect with him, uh, so we can be a, a blessing to that church that is struggling. We be praying for Colon Baptist Church that uh, through the Meneers and our relationship with them, that we can see that church revived and strengthened. It really is um, it's struggling greatly. And so we need to be in prayer for that ministry. Psalm 131, let me read that for you this morning. A song of ascents of David. A song of ascents, probably, there's discussion as to what that means. Probably, this is a song, a psalm sung as they were ascending to Jerusalem for uh, some sort of a worship situation. So as they'll be walking to Jerusalem, they will be singing this hymn, uh, this song, and other psalms as well. So Psalm 131, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. That's a prayer. Verse 1, O Lord. Verses 1 and 2 is a prayer. Now he shifts from his prayer, and now he's talking to Israel. O Israel, he's challenging Israel. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Charles Wesley once wrote this poem. I rest beneath the Almighty's shade. My griefs expire, my troubles cease. I rest beneath the shade of God. And because that's true, my griefs expire, my troubles fade away, they they cease. That doesn't mean that they go away, I don't think. It simply means that in the shadow of God's care, everything is kind of brought down to size. We realize God is there and, and gracious and kind, and we can rest in Him, even though the troubles are still there. Thou, Lord, on whom my soul is stayed, will keep me in perfect peace. Will keep me still in perfect peace. Human beings long for peace and tranquility and calmness of soul. We know from other scriptures that lasting peace and tranquility only comes from a relationship with God. And, and actually, when we think of the uh, various attributes of God, peace, inner peace and tranquility comes as we rest in who God is. He is good and kind and compassionate. He loves his children. He loves you. He loves me. God is sovereign. He controls everything. Whatever circumstances I'm facing in life right now, he's involved in them. They're part of his sovereign plan. So when we think of, 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 of peace and tranquility of soul, it really boils down to resting in who God is. Well, Psalm 131, David adds, I think, to our understanding of how to gain peace. So if my, 
soul is troubled, if I'm going through a life struggle or a thousand life struggles and my soul is, is not tranquil, I'm not at peace, I'm, I'm just in turmoil. And every one of us has faced this. Times when you can't sleep at night, times when you, 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 you find yourself weeping uncontrollably because of some life struggle, or times when it's not one big one, it's a thousand little ones, and you're kind of bearing the weight of that. Well, how am I going to be at peace in my soul, be tranquil, be calm, be at rest in my soul? Well, we know from other texts, as I said, we rest in the attributes of God, the goodness and grace and kindness and mercy and wisdom and sovereignty of God. But David adds to that, I think, in this psalm. He adds to our understanding. I think in Psalm 131, David assumes God's sovereignty and goodness and kindness and so forth. But in these three verses, he moves past those theological truths. And he considers, in a very practical way, how God's people can develop an inner spirit of peace and calmness. Maybe you'd say to me, boy, this is not describing me. I'm not the kind of person that is calm in his spirit, that is at peace. Well, you're not the only one in this room, I think, probably that struggles in that regard. The thrust of this little psalm has to do with the confidence, peace, and restful attitude of the believer. The reason I say that is, look look at verse 3. Now he talks about, verse 2, he talks about, I've calmed and quieted my soul, and so forth. That's there. But look at at verse 3. You have in verse 3 the only command, the only imperative in the psalm. O Israel, hope, or wait, or rest in the Lord. And he says that, he commands that after saying what he has said in verses 1 and 2. So here's the command, and I think it, it, it gives us a clear understanding of where he's going in this psalm. Hope in the Lord. Rest in God. And so I think we see there the theme of this psalm. David describes what God's children need to do here in order to gain an inner peace and rest. And then after describing that in verses 1 and 2, he commands Israel to do that. Hope, rest, trust in the Lord. Folks, the bottom line I think we see from this text is that we should be people at peace. You know, the world around us. The world's not at peace right now. In fact, just the opposite. There is struggle and turmoil and anger and impatience and hatred and all the rest of it everywhere you look. Well, on this earth, who, of all the people on this planet, who should be people at peace who handle struggles and trials with a peace about them. It should be us. Because we have a reason to be at peace. And he digs into that in this small, this short psalm. Let's pray and we'll look at this text this morning. Thank you, Father, for our pastor. Watch over him today. Bless his ministry at Colton Baptist. Bless our time now around your word. Thank you for this psalm, these few little words that say so much. Use this text, Father, to encourage us. There may be some here right now who are really struggling with something. And their their soul is not at peace. Father, use this psalm to encourage them, to help them. And I pray that when this morning is over, having looked at this psalm, we will be better equipped 
better able to, to be at peace, to help us to, to learn how to rest in you as we look at this psalm. We pray these things in Christ's name, the one we love. Amen. Let's see four things from this psalm this morning. First of all, inner peace comes when we are not driven by pride. Look at verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Isn't that a little arrogant? Does that come across arrogant? I'm not proud. That's the idea of the the text. I'm not arrogant. Uh, My heart's not lifted up. In fact, that phraseology is used in the Old Testament of someone who is arrogant. My heart's not proud. I'm not arrogant. What would you think of someone who walked up to you and said that? You think you'd say it takes a pretty arrogant person to claim to not be arrogant? That's exactly what David is doing, though. He is saying, "I'm not proud." Now, when he says this, this is not just anyone saying this. When he says, "Oh Lord, my my heart is not lifted up; my eyes are not raised too high," he is writing this as be, as he's being moved by the Spirit of God, right? He's not just writing this. <laughs> He's being moved by the Spirit of God. So we know what he's saying is true. And something else to note, he's praying to God here. And he knows who he's talking to. He's talking to the one who knows him like no one else knows him. And so clearly, at at least at this moment in his life, at this period, at this particular moment, as he writes this, what he's writing is true. He's not proud. His eyes are not lofty and and, and looking up. Now, how does this fit in with what we're saying? Well, first of all, let's look at the terminology. The words lifted up and the words raised high. the, The first phrase, lifted up, means to be high, to be exalted. The Hebrew term means that. It's often used of a heart of pride and haughtiness. Proverbs 18.12, before his downfall, a man's heart is lifted up. It's proud, but humility comes before honor. The second uh, a phrase, raised, uh, raised too high, means the same thing. It's a different phrase, different words, but it also means to be high, to be exalted. So look at your text. What we have here is, is the attitude and then the, um, the uh, symptom of the attitude. So, for, for most of us, I will just say all of us, we would word it this way. My heart is lifted up. There's the problem. Pride. And here's one of the symptoms of pride then. My eyes are raised too high. Meaning a haughty look. Every one of us struggles with pride. We have a heart that is arrogant, a spirit of arrogance. And it produces symptoms of arrogance. In this case, he simply highlights the haughty look. I'm better than you. That look, that feeling that produces that that look. Spurgeon writes, What the heart desires, the eyes look for. 
where the desires run, the glances usually follow. Where your desires are all about you, when you're haughty, the glances will follow. This holy man felt that he did not seek after elevated places where he might gratify his self-esteem. Neither did he look down upon others as being his inferiors. David is guilty of neither personal pride nor arrogance. It is amazing how, how prone to pride we are. Even we, God's people, if you know Christ as Lord and Savior, you have an inkling, you have a little bit of knowledge just how sinful you are. And the more we study the scriptures and understand who God is and who we are in comparison to him, we realize how wicked we are. Uh, uh, the creator-creature distinction is miles and miles deep. God is here and I am here. And the more I read, I realize how, much, how great God is and how sinful I am. And even though that's true, we are still proud. We still make ourselves the, the center of our own thoughts. We still wallow in high opinions of ourselves. The apostles, by the way, were a, a sorry illustration of this. After living with Jesus for nearly three years, after seeing him heal the sick and raise the dead, after seeing him calm uh, the storm on the Sea of Galilee and feed 5,000 plus people with a little boy's lunch, probably 20,000 people when you figure wives and children, they see all of this. And after all of that, in Matthew 18, they, they ask this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So... Jesus lives right here among us, Grace Baptist Church, and we see him. We see him in his holiness and his kindness and compassion, his mercy. We see him doing miracles, demonstrating his deity, his godness. And after three years, we say, so of all of us, who's greater? Just really curious if I'm the one, because I, I think I should be the one. That's why they're asking the question, can you imagine this? And that's what they did. This is how sinful our hearts are. This is how proud we are. David's mind and soul were at rest. Why was he at rest? Because he was not stuck on himself. Because he did not think that he deserved better than what God was giving. This, this is one of the reasons we struggle so much with peace. This is what God is giving in my life right now. This struggle, this trial, this hardship. And I deserve better. Because I'm better than, than this. See, that's why he starts out with pride. Because this is one of our first problems. We think we deserve... What do we deserve? Eternal punishment. That's what we deserve. And anything better is mercy. And so if we're going to be at peace, the first thing is dealing with the pride in our own hearts. I don't deserve better. We don't deserve better. David was satisfied with whatever God willed for his life. Those who lack peace of soul do so because they are focused on themselves and their own personal goals instead of the Lord and his goals. Let me say that again. Let's just put that in, in, in an us category. When we are not at peace, when we're struggling... Now, by the way, we're all facing trials, and we're always going to face trials. They're coming from every direction. And sometimes it's a few. Sometimes it's like mosquitoes buzzing, and they're just there, and they kind of drive you nuts. And sometimes the trial's like a train, bam, and it's just knocking you over. That's just how life is. Now, but who's in control of life and all those things? God. 
So when, when we face struggles, instead of thinking about ourselves and focusing on ourselves and what we want, I don't want this right now, we need to change our focus to God and his plan. God's doing something here. He's got, a, he's got a plan. He's got a purpose here. He's trying to accomplish something in my life. Maybe there are some rough edges to shave away. Oh, yeah, and there are. And maybe there's a need in this person's life, and I can help meet it, and I'm involved in this. And some way, God's going to bring glory to himself. But we're not going to be able to be at peace unless we set aside the view, the thinking that I deserve better than this. Because I'm so great. Secondly, inner peace comes when we do not aspire to greatness. Now, if you're looking at your, your bulletin, looking at the outline, I'm going to change that second point. That's what I have written down. I have inner peace comes when you do not aspire to greatness. But I've done more thinking, more digging. And I'm changing my understanding of this. You, that's, that's a terrible thing to do in the middle of a sermon. But the notes were already sent in, and so I couldn't change them before you got them. So here's actually the second point, and you'll see why I say this in a few minutes. Inner peace comes when we stop questioning God and his plan. When we stop questioning God and his plan. Let me flesh that out for you. Look at the latter half of verse 1. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now David could be saying one of two things here. First of all, he could be saying... He did not aspire to greatness. He's at peace and he's calm because he didn't aspire to greatness. He, he, he didn't uh, plot against Saul to take his throne. He, uh, and when, when, when Saul was plotting against him and David had the opportunity to kill him and take the throne, David didn't take that opportunity. He was a shepherd boy who focused on shepherding well. He wasn't aspiring to the throne. It was God who placed David on the throne. It was God who sought out David for that lofty position. It was God who placed David in the midst of greatness. David did not long for it. That may be what this text is saying. When he says, I did not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. He did not aspire to greatness. And so he's at peace. Whether God sticks him on a hillside with 500 sheep... Or God puts him on the throne of Israel. He's at peace because he's not aspiring to anything. He wants God to move him like, like, like a, a chess piece to whatever spot God will put him. And he's happy wherever God puts him. That may be what this text is saying. And if that is what this text is saying, that's certainly consistent with other passages of Scripture. So that truth is certainly in Scripture. I think, however, David's saying something a little different. Look at the Hebrew, look at the word um, marvelous. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous. The Hebrew word could also be translated wonderful, and it's often used of God's works. It's often used in the Old Testament of God's works. Psalm 71, 17. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous, amazing works. 
Psalm 72, 18. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wonderful, wondrous things. So here's what I think. I think when he says, I don't occupy myself with things that are too great, too grand, too marvelous, too wonderful for me to comprehend. I think his point is, he did not spend his time thinking about things that only God could comprehend. He didn't spend his time questioning God and his workings. I think that's the idea. He didn't question God's workings because they were too high, too difficult, uh, too grand, too marvelous, and too wonderful for him to comprehend. He did not leave his place. He had no right to question what God was doing, so he didn't question, I think is the point. Who in the, who in the world? No one knows what God's... I mean, we know what God's ultimate plan is. We read the book of Revelation. We read other prophetic texts. We know where history is going, right? But do we know what's going to happen this afternoon? Or tomorrow? In our nation? In our homes? With our jobs? Do we know any of that? Absolutely not. We don't. David is saying, I don't know those things. They're too deep, too marvelous, too wonderful. So I don't spend my time questioning what God is doing. David's content to play whatever role God would have him to play. If God wants him as a lowly shepherd, he's happy there. If God wants him on the throne, he'll be happy there. Folks, if you want peace and quietness of soul, if we want that, we have to resist the temptation to question God and his plan, which we're so apt to do. When hard things enter our lives, we're tempted to say, why? What's going on here? Why me? Why not someone else? Be content with wherever God places you. Be content with whatever he's doing in your life. I have a, an old commentary on the book of Psalms written in 1851 by, by J.A. Alexander, who was then the theology professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, which was at the time an Orthodox seminary. Leather-bound, old set, three-volume set. I love it. I love just looking at it. But past the leather and the cool look of this, of this was the first printing of this particular commentary set. It's really good, too. He says this, and he's right on the money. He said this in 1851. The great and wonderful things that are meant here are God's secret purposes and sovereign means for their accomplishment. When he says, uh, I, don't, I don't worry about, I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, he's speaking of the secret purposes of God and the ways in which God's going to accomplish those things. I, I don't spend my time wondering what's God doing, what's his plan, because it will get me nowhere. And I certainly don't question his plan. Why is he doing this or that? He goes on to write, Uh, The great and wonderful things meant here are God's secret purposes and sovereign means for their accomplishment, in which man is not called to cooperate, but to acquiesce. What he means by that is, in which man is not called to give God advice or counsel, but just to acquiesce, 
just to know God knows what he's doing, and I don't. I'm not going to seek to give God advice. I think Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 are helpful here. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I'm not going to understand God. And David's saying that very thing here. I'm not going to understand him. I'm not going to occupy myself with trying to figure out God and maybe give God a little advice and counsel because things aren't going the way I want it to go in my life. No. David realizes God's ways and God's thoughts are something different than mine. He does things differently than I would do them. And I would do them stupidly. And sinfully. So, folks, if we want to be at peace with God, be at peace every day as things are happening all around us, let's resist that temptation of asking God, What are you doing? Let's resist that temptation of questioning Him. Thirdly, inner peace comes when we quiet our thinking. Look at verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Notice this. I have done this. He's saying, this is a decision I have made. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Those words calmed and quieted are interesting. The first word calmed, by the way, literally means to make something smooth, to level something. It's used in in Isaiah 28 of a farmer leveling his field in preparation for planting. So smoothing something out. I'm smoothing out my soul is the idea. And that second word, uh, quieted, means to, to be dumb, to have your mouth closed, to be silent. So David is saying, I... I've smoothed and silenced my soul. I've leveled my thinking. I've quieted myself. And then David illustrates what he means by that. By comparing his smoothness of soul with a newly weaned child. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. In Israel, the weaning process was a little different than what we do here today. A child was weaned when he was... He or she was two and a half to three years old. You can imagine the fuss a three-year-old would put up if the transition from mother's milk to food happened at three years old. Just think about that. You know, they don't call them terrible twos for nothing. So terrible twos are maybe threes. And you can imagine this child who has enjoyed the nourishment and warmth and comfort of nursing at three years old, by the way, at three years old, the child has a vocabulary. He can express. And if you're taking the child away and saying, no, now we're having green beans. And now we're having Brussels sprouts. Oh, I, I would scream at that. I mean, I, say, I, I would be loud there too. But you're, you're, you're transitioning the feeding from, from what he or she has always known. 
and the warmth and comfort that that child has always known. And now you're sticking green beans and Brussels sprouts in his or her mouth. You can imagine how loud that transition is going to be. But when the transition's over and the child is weaned, now he or she has learned how to gain comfort, nourishment, and comfort from other means. They're no longer screaming and crying at the top of their lungs when you're trying to give them green beans. Inner peace comes, folks, when we make a decision to quiet our souls. This isn't just going to happen. You know, an attitude, a spirit of peace and tranquility is not just going to fall from heaven. I have to, I have to work probably every morning. God help me in this. And I would say it does it is a gift from God, so we pray for it, but it's an act of the will as well. God help me today to just be at peace with whatever comes my way, whatever, you, whatever your plan is for me today. Whatever easy and wonderful and comfortable things come, help me to be thankful. And whatever challenging things come, help me to be at peace and rest. And I, I right now, I'm, I'm going to do what David has said he did. I am calming my soul right now. Because I'm not so arrogant that I think I deserve better. And I'm not so stupid as to question your will. So help me now, Father, just to be at peace with whatever's happening today. Inner peace and calmness come when we stop craving comfort from things other than God. Inner peace comes when we stop craving comfort from things other than God. <sighs> Folks, when are we going to stop looking for security and comfort and peace in everything but God? We look for, some people look for comfort and peace in money and material things. So a couple of years ago, when your 401k was just going like this, and every dollar was worth, well, it wasn't worth a dollar, but it was worth more. And you went to the grocery store, went to the gas station, and gas was $2 a gallon. You could fill up and drive wherever you wanted. You didn't care. Your retirement looked good. Your salary looked good. I mean, things were good. And so you are banking on money and material things for your peace. And maybe you were at peace a couple years ago. How do you feel today? You fill your tank and you say, Honey, we can't go anywhere this week. Nowhere. We can't go pick up the grandkids. They're going to cost too much to pick them up. We can't go on vacation. We're going to do a staycation. Because we can't afford the gas. I just drove to Virginia last week. I put 2,088 miles on my car. Thankfully, the guys I was driving with, they decided, since they're using my car, they paid for the gas. That was a blessing, I tell you. If you're gaining peace from your 401k, how do you feel today? You're thinking, I can't retire until I'm 75. I'm going to be a, a, a greeter at Walmart until I'm 75. If you're trying to gain peace from money and material things, you don't have peace right now. 
And some people gain their peace and comfort and calmness based upon the stock market and based upon money. Some people look for peace in human relationships. My family, my children, my grandchildren, my my neighbors, my church family, they're my source of peace. Sometimes there's not a lot of peace in families. Sometimes families provide great struggle, a great difficulty. There's hardship and tears in those relationships. And family cannot be relationships, friends. That cannot be the source of peace because relationships don't always bring peace. Sometimes they bring just the opposite. Some look for peace in easy and stress stress free lives and sometimes our lives are that way why things are going so well we're just coasting other times there's a lot of stress there's a lot of struggle and if you're getting peace from that boy you're not going to be at peace The only one who can provide peace is God. And you have to make yourself, according to David, if we're going to follow David's pattern here, we have to make ourselves be calm and quieted. This will be a decision of the will every single day. Now lastly, inner peace will cause us to minister hope to others. If you're at peace, you'll be able to minister to others. Look at verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. David's basically saying this. O Israel, hope in the Lord. He's saying, Israel, be like me. I'm not controlled by pride. I don't think I deserve more than whatever God's giving. I, I, I don't question God or his plans for me. Be like me. I don't question God and what he's doing. Every day I I smooth and and quiet and calm my soul because I have confidence in God. I hope in the Lord, Israel. You do the same. And notice the very last few words. From this time forth and forevermore. You do the same. You quiet your soul. You hope in God. From now on is the idea. Every single day of your earthly life. Get up and quiet your soul before God. Because you're confident in him and what he's doing. I was talking to my wife, I think it was last week. She asked what I was preaching on. I said, Psalm 131. She said, wow. That's really short. And I said, well, I have a reputation of being long-winded, so this is good. We've covered quite a bit of time here. Spurgeon says this about this psalm, and it just is so interesting to me. He says, This is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. You can read this thing in about four seconds, five seconds, maybe, maybe ten if you're a slow reader. Maybe fast, maybe two seconds if you're a speed reader. But it doesn't take long to read Psalm 131. It's one of the shortest psalms to read. But to learn the truths of this psalm, to apply the truths of this psalm, that's going to take some energy and some time and some effort. To learn not to be controlled by pride, not to think I deserve better than whatever God is giving. 
That's a hard lesson to learn. We have to learn it every day. Because pride is in our hearts every moment. And it rears its head constantly. To learn, I'm not going to question God or his plans. His ways are too lofty for me. I don't get it, but I don't have to get it. To learn every day, to begin it by quieting and calming my heart because I'm confident in God. Those are hard lessons to learn. But let's learn them. You know, there's a great difference between people who rest in the Lord and those who are confidently fretting over life's trials. You know people who just seem to be calm and at peace. When the whole, you know, when a storm is thrown at them, by the grace of God, they, they just seem to be able to handle it. They seem to be able to kind of figure out, well, God knows what he's doing. They, they seem to remember the right things. There are people like that. Thank God for those kind of people. Then there are those of us who, even if it's not a storm, but it's a drizzle, we're, we're just like this. Which one do you like? Which of those kinds of people do you like to be around? This person is hard to hang around. A person who's tranquil, no matter how big the storm, that person's a blessing to be around. They're encouraging to you, especially as you watch them handle the storm. Wow. They're handling this so well. It really is a source of conviction to me and a blessing to me, I need to handle trials that way. Well, folks, let's, let's, David again, at the end of the psalm, he's challenging Israel, be like me. Let's be the kind of people who are at peace with how, no matter how big the storm is, because we're trusting the Lord. And then let's be the kind of people who other people can watch and be blessed by. Again, Wesley wrote, I rest beneath the Almighty's shade, my griefs expire, my troubles cease. Thou, Lord, on whom my soul is stayed, fixed, wilt keep me still in perfect peace. We should be people at peace. Thank you, Father, for this little song that says so much. Help us, Father. Help us to be people who realize that whatever you give us is best for us. To not be controlled by pride, thinking we deserve better. Help us, Father, to be uh, people who don't question you. But rather realize that whatever is in our life, it's because of your sovereign hand and your wise plan. And it's somehow best for us and for others and ultimately best for your glory. Help us, Lord, to to begin each day, to learn, to begin each day with this desire of quieting and calming our souls as we face the day and whatever it will dish out. Thank you, Father, for Christ. We love him. We ask these things in his name. Amen.